For the next uh, three weeks, we're going to talk about who we are, who we are at Daybreak, who we are at Renfrew. Don't worry, we're going to get into Christmas soon enough. Today, I want to talk to you about the blessing of generosity. I I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you, how many of you would say that you're a pretty generous person? Maybe just ask your spouse, they'll say the answer for that. See, when I look around, I see some of the most amazing, generous people. People who have allowed us to be here today. See, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. They might not even be with us physically, but they have imprinted themselves on the walls on what we do. See, Renfrew and Daybreak, here's the first thing that we are. We're going to say that we're going to lead the way with irrational generosity. Because we truly believe it is uh, more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to do everything that we can to make a difference with what God has blessed us with. And in that, I celebrate the generosity of many of you. It's truly amazing. It's God-inspiring, and it makes a huge difference in the world. See, a lot of us get uncomfortable when we talk about generosity. And the, the truth is actually that there's a difference between generosity and giving. To be honest, some of us aren't that generous in life. And that life then shows up in the church What you need to hear over these next few weeks is this in no way is a cash call. It's not because we're walking into a budget season. It's going to be the DNA of of who we are going to become. See, many people actually are going to say, I'm pretty generous. And the reason they say they're generous is because we give something. But we need to keep understanding that giving and being generous, they're actually two different things. Here's my definition of what a generous person is. A generous person is someone who orientates their life around the thrill of being used by God to make a difference. Do you want that? See, most Canadians, good Canadians, don't feel rich. But we are. Most Canadians think we're generous, but we're not. So let's unpack that just for a minute. Most of us don't feel rich because there's always someone who is a lot more richer than we are. So when we compare ourselves to someone who has a lot more, we actually don't feel like we're wealthy. But when we compare ourselves with others in the world, we have to acknowledge that we're extraordinarily blessed. In fact, if you have a vehicle, depending on what study you read, that puts you in the top six to nine percent of the wealthiest people in the world. So we're in the top ten. We're blessed. We don't even know it. You think about what we take for granted. For example, chances are most of you had some experience like this in the last couple weeks. You got in your car, 
or someone else's car. You drove perhaps past a bunch of restaurants to go to your favorite restaurant. You walked up to your favorite restaurant. Perhaps you were a little put off because you had to wait five minutes to get in. Because usually you don't have to. You came, you sat down at a table, someone else came and took your order. They brought the food to you, you ate it all. Someone else cleaned up the dishes, you went back in your vehicle and you drove it to the place that you live. If you live in a place like I do, you drove up to your house. What did you do when you got near your house? You pressed a button and the door opened up. Seriously, how ridiculously wealthy is that? You drove your vehicle into your vehicle's house. It's a house for your car. Some of you've got a two or three car house. And some of you have so much stuff, you have to put extra stuff in there because you don't have room in your, to put your car in there because that's how much stuff you have. Then you walked into your house, which is climate controlled. Which is a very nice thing. Thank God in this snow. Some of you like it at 68 degrees. Some of you like it at 70 degrees, 70 degrees. Or for some of you, you go on your phone to the Nest thermostat that you can control so that it's nice and warm when you get home. Now, not to gross you out, at some point you went to the bathroom. When you go to the bathroom, you push a button, you pull the lever, and your stuff goes away. That's how rich we are. That doesn't happen all over the world. You and I go to sleep in a very comfortable bed. We wake up the next day. Maybe we're going to church like we did this morning. You walk into your closet. You got clothes from that side of the closet to the other side of the closet. You got clothes that you run your hands along. You touch them all and you say, man, I've got nothing to wear. Most of us, we're really blessed and we don't know it. The problem is if you ask the average Canadian, are you generous? They're going to say, yes, I'm pretty generous. Let me give you a few stats. I tried to find some Canadian stats. I couldn't, but these ones will be very similar to us in Canada. They're U.S. stats. The average American gives away 2.8% of what they bring in. But if you make over 100000 in a year, you actually give less. You give 2.6% away. As Jesus followers here at Daybreak, we do something different. We're going to lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is going to be one of the pillars of our church. The reason why people don't give more, let's be honest, is because we feel like we can't. I don't know hardly anyone that doesn't want to give more. Most people I know would love to give more. Most people I know would love to say, I could give until my heart's content. What did COVID teach us? Scarcity. There's not enough. I wish I could give more. I can't afford it. You know what? I need to store up as much toilet paper as I can just in case. 
Maybe you've uttered these words, we can never get ahead. I'm always behind. There's always more month left than money. Friends, that's a scarcity mindset. You hear it in our language. The interesting thing with scarcity is scarcity is actually a cycle. The scarcity cycle looks like this. God supplies, and the first thing that we end up doing is consuming. We feel like it's all for us, so we spend whatever comes in, we consume. Then at the end of the month, we're like, there's just not enough. We lack. Whenever we consume and we don't have enough, what's that dominant emotion that we feel? We fear. Then we consume more. And this is how the majority of people we know live. We use these words. It's living paycheck to paycheck. God gives to us, and we spend what we have. Oftentimes, we spend more than what we have. Here's that cycle. We lack, then we fear, then we consume, then we lack, and then we fear. It's that cycle. It's what we hear in our language. I wish I could do more, but I can't. I never seem to get ahead. In fact, friends, if you find yourself tensing up this morning, if your stomach is starting to do flips, if you feel like, I think I need to go to the bathroom, it's because when we talk about generosity in the church, there's all kinds of emotions that flash in to our mind. It's because we have a scarcity mindset. What's ours, we believe, is ours. Maybe you're thinking this morning, I don't want to do that. You know what, Matt? The church just wants my money. That's why you're talking about this. I can't afford to do that. Friends, this morning, I want to show you as Jesus followers that we have a totally different mindset. Here's the key. Because of what God does for us, This is what we do. Because of what God did for us through Jesus, his son, we do something different. God does something and it creates a whole different cycle. It's not a cycle of scarcity. It's a cycle of supply. Let me show you what we do. We give generously. That's what Jesus followers do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to, to flip to 2 Corinthians, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, it'll be on the screen. We're actually going to look at five verses from this little section that Paul was talking to the, the church in Corinth about. Look at verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Paul said this, you must decide in your heart how much to give. Friends, that's what we do. 
We give generously. And I love these instructions. We don't give reluctantly. We don't give in response to pressure. In other words, if you feel manipulated, if you feel pressure, do not give. This isn't even me saying that. This is God's word saying, do not do it. If you feel that way today, do not give. Because God tells us that God loves a person who gives cheerfully. See, this is what we do. We believe it's a massive blessing to be generous to others. And then what happens in our generosity? God will generously provide all we need. Do you notice something? This isn't lack. It isn't scarcity. God provides Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I love that verse 9. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. See, we have everything that we need. God loves it when we're generous. People love it when we're generous. It's a tremendous joy when we're generous. That's what we do. What does God do? God multiplies abundantly. We give generously and God takes that and multiplies it. Look at verse 10 and 11 now. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and it will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, through us here at daybreak, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, God gives us resources to give, bread to eat. In the same way, just reading Paul's words to that church in Corinth, He will provide. He will increase our resources. This isn't lack. This isn't scarcity. This is abundance. This is blessing. God multiplies. He increases our resources. And then what happens? There's a harvest of generosity in us. God is blessing and multiplying. And guess what happens? We become even more generous. I love that verse. You will be enriched. Or change that word to enrich to you will be fulfilled in every way. Why? So we can be always afraid? So we'll always be nervous with our finances? No, so we can always be generous. When we take those gifts to those who need Jesus, what are they going to do? They're going to thank God. They're going to praise God. This is so opposite to the common mindset, which is that cycle of scarcity. Instead, our cycle of supply is we sow and God supplies. See, scarcity tells us to consume, to lack, to fear, to consume again, to lack and to fear. Those words, I wish I could do more, but I just can't. As Jesus followers, the very first thing that we do in response to God is as God blesses us, we return 10%, a tithe back to Him as an act of worship. 
Where did that come from? We give to God because God first gave to us. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that what? He gave. We give. What happens when we give? What does God do? God multiplies it. We put that little seed in the ground. God gives us a harvest. God always multiplies when we give. We don't fear. Our faith grows and suddenly what does, what do we do? God has blessed us. We give more and God multiplies. Our faith grows and suddenly we have a harvest of generosity because of the goodness of God. Instead, of living in this lack or in this fear that I don't have enough, we take this crazy radical faith that makes no sense intellectually. Only in God's economy does it make sense and we worship God with our tithe. Well, what does the tithe do? It actually breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a cycle of supply. So what is a tithe? That the word tithe comes from a Hebrew word means masser. It means one tenth. One tenth of everything that comes to us, we give back to God as a, as an act of worship. You might say this, Matt, does that even matter today because we're in the New Testament? Well, friends, you and I could go all the way back before the law, before the law even came into existence. Abraham returned first, increase what he had back to God. Then go all the way into the New Testament, two different times in the Gospels, it says you should tithe. And don't forget the more important matters of the law. In other words, tithing is kind of an assumption. It's what we do. Yeah, don't forget love and mercy and sacrifice, but also throw in the word tithe. This is just what we do here at Daybreak. When God blesses us, we worship him in an act of honor. What we're saying to God is, God, I return back to you 10% of what you give to me. God multiplies it. It builds our faith. We give more and suddenly, instead of that cycle of scarcity and lack, we experience abundance because of our good God. And God creates a harvest of generosity in us. Well, let me give you three simple truths around tithes. Here's the very first one. Tithing always teaches us to put God first. Tithing teaches us to put God first. Deuteronomy 14.23, it says this, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. So there you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. At this stage of the game, you are probably thinking, I should have slept in today. I shouldn't have come to church. Matt, do you not, weren't you aware of what they warned us this week? Don't you know about the economy and the terrible winter we're going to have? Matt, this is scary. I mean, things are tight. I don't want to do this. Matt, for me to do this, it would mean that I'd have to rearrange my entire life around God. 
Are you telling me that, Matt? Yep. I mean, you don't understand, Matt. I have to make massive changes. Guess what? That's what I'm telling you. Matt, to do that, it would take crazy faith. Yep. That's exactly what I'm telling you. You see, to give means an enormous amount of faith. It takes faith to give first. It takes little faith to give last. Every time that I give back to God, I'm saying, God, because of what you did for me, this is my honor to give back to you. God, I've rearranged and prioritized my life around you as Lord of all, and I put you first. Tithing teaches us to put God first. Here's the second thing. Tithing always builds our faith. Malachi 3, verse 10 and 11, it'll be behind me, says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, just take a second and read what's on the screen. Keep going there, Noreen. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will be not enough room to store it. Here's the crazy thing with that Malachi 3.10. This is the only place in Scripture where it says that, to, that, that God says we're allowed to test him. God says, test me. You don't believe it? Give it a try. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room for you to store it. See, my economy, God's economy, is very different than the world's. Remember scarcity? Consume, lack, fear. Consume, lack, and fear. Here God is saying, see, if you give it to me first, I'll multiply it. I'll build your faith. I will suddenly create a harvest of generosity. God is saying, give me your first and your best and I will bless the rest. Friends, I want you to try this out. See if 90% with God's blessing doesn't go further than 100% without it. Friends, you'll see the blessing of God and suddenly you'll get like passionate crazy about doing even more. See, we start with the tithe. We see God's provision, and it blesses us to give even more. Suddenly, you're giving offerings, which are different than a tithe. Suddenly, you're rearranging your entire life. Suddenly, you've put your life into God's hand. Tithing teaches you to put God's first. Here's the interesting thing. When I was a youth pastor... I was getting bitter about what I was getting paid at the church. (laughs) And God got tired of me complaining to him. And God, I could feel, say this to me, not audibly, but I could feel it in my heart. God said, okay, Matt, I'm done hearing you complain about this. Do something about it. (laughs) And so Matt and Michelle, with their six-month-old daughter, went, I guess we're going to deliver newspapers. God said to me at that time, you can be bitter and want and want and want, or you can do something about it. Friends, those six months of delivering newspapers was the most close I have felt to God. 
because the stillness of a city at five in the morning, I could hear God's voice so clearly. See, God always chooses to bless. We have to walk in obedience to that blessing. See, a cycle of abundance will happen. Suddenly we're transformed when we give God, when we give to God first. It's powerful. I've never missed an opportunity to honor God with what he's trusted me with. Friends, at daybreak, this is what we do. It makes no sense to the world, but it's what we do. See, there were people who believed that we would be here today. They sacrificed so that we would be here today. Friends, wouldn't you want to be one of those people 10 to 20 years from now? Daybreak, we will lead the way with irrational generosity. Because we believe it, and Jesus said it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The tithe teaches us to put God first. The tithe builds our faith. And the third, tithing provides for the work of God's church. See, when we, we return 10% into God's church, a lot can get done in the world. Look back at Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so there may be food in my house. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to answer this question in your mind and your heart. How many of you would say your life is different spiritually because of God's work in this church? See, spiritual food and a place always makes a difference. Someone else gave. The work of God goes forth. Your life is impacted. This is what we, drew, what we do. Here's the really cool thing in God's economy. I want you to dream with me. I want you to partner with me. At some point, God will be calling us to have a new building to replace this building. At some point, God will be calling us to have new staff. God will be calling us to have new ministry initiative. God is calling us to live into the community that has started to live around us. Our community needs to be impacted. Years ago, it was a community that We could look outside the church and not see anything. The time is now. This is what we do. Because of what God did for us, this is what we do. We'll lead the way with irrational generosity. Here's the million dollar question this morning. Are you a part of the we? Or are you still living in a cycle of scarcity? We consume, we lack, we fear. I want you to think about the cycle of abundance. It makes no sense in the natural. It will make no sense on paper. It's supernatural. We give, God multiplies, our faith grows, and we give some more. When you and I choose to live in obedience in regards to giving, God creates in us a harvest of generosity. And when we give, people always thank God. Friends, this, is, this isn't just what we do. It's who we are.
We're generous because God gave first. Because of what God did, I know what I need to do. I want to invite you, if you're not a part of it, to be a part of the we. This is what we do. God is glorified when we give and he meets needs all over the world. Let me pray. Father, empower us, your church, to be part of a revolution of generosity. Using what you've given us, recognizing we are blessed beyond measure to be a massive blessing in this world. With your eyes closed still. Friends, daybreak. I'd love for you in your heart to go, I would love to be even more generous. God, could you bless me to be a blessing? God, make us your church so radically generous that even non-believers, doubters, skeptics will look on and say, I may not believe what they believe, but they sure do practice it. They are generous. May the world see your love through the generosity of your church. Build our faith, God. Amen. Friends, our God wants nothing more than to be first in your life. Understand this simple phrase, God gave first to you. God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, you would say that God, that Jesus was God's tithe. Before we ever responded, God gave his seed. God gave his son in this world by faith, believing that we would respond to his gift of salvation through Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk into communion. I'm actually going to have Glenn do it so that I'm not late into Calgary. But as we walk into communion, this is a great opportunity for us. I want you to grab your communion elements, and I'll, I'll prep it for Glenn. There's always two pieces with the communion elements. The beauty is it's not Matt's table. It's not Daybreak's table. The, the table is open to anyone who's accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you have not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't think there would be a better time than right now to do it. That free gift that puts us into the trajectory of God using us is something that's in, incredibly profound. In the communion elements, we have the bread, which represents God's bo- Jesus' body that's broken for us. Bread sustains us. I think at times when we think and we reflect on Jesus' death on the cross, at moments we can get lost in the fact that it was just God and it was kind of like a drama that just happened. Remember, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And that time on the cross, that was, that was his 100% man. That's why he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And so as we, as we partake in the communion, we're reminded of his body that was broken, the physicalness of Jesus. And then on the other side, we have the, the blood of the new covenant, which Jesus said in Luke, man, I have eagerly, 
like my 33 and a half years here on earth. I have waited to do this and now's the time. And so we have the, the pain of the man and then we have the 100% God where Jesus is going, I can't wait for this relationship to change. <laughs> where man will be able to commune with the Father again. And so as we reflect on this communion, Glenn will lead us. Really, this has all to do with what we talked about. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life to the full. I have come not to do my will, but my Father's will. That's what tithing is. That's what generosity is. Is us going, I exist here on earth, not for my benefit, but to bring as many people into a relationship with Jesus as I can. <laughs> and may that be so for us here at, at Daybreak. Let me pray and then Glenn will come up and, and lead it. God, thank you for the great gift of communion. As my friends contemplate, as they sit in silence for a couple minutes, may you speak to us in bold ways. We adore you, we love you, we worship you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.